You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin today by calling in the spirits. So I'd like to reach out through our hearts and our minds all the way back in the ancestral lines for each of us who are here today and listening at any time to this show. I call out to those ancestors who lived well and died well, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives, those who serve us as ancestral helping spirits, those who have made it all the way to the land of the dead where they can reconnect with the great oneness of all things and choose to return to us to assist the living that we might be better able to do what we have come here to do. It is such a joy to have the freedom to learn from those who have gone before us. Yet without that conversation with these ancestors, we simply repeat the same mistakes over and over again. And so I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to help us at this most critical time on the face of the earth, this time of change and transformation, to truly learn from those who have gone before us and to bring healing and reconciliation and peacemaking to those decisions our ancestors made that lead us into continual conflict, continual harm of others and the inability to treat others as we would wish for them to treat us. And so I call out to those ancestors who learned from the mistakes in their lives and I ask them to be with us here today to help us to learn to not make those same mistakes again and again and again. And I welcome these ancestors and thank you for remembering and being there for us to communicate with that we might learn and heal and grow and go forward in life in new ways. And I ask each one of you to reach down from your hearts into your bellies and down your legs into the earth all the way into this most essential ancestor of the earth. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming. For it is her dream of life that brought life as we know it to this planet. We give thanks to the earth for place, home, a place to belong, for the connection and interconnectedness of life. And we ask the earth to help us to throw off our illusions of separateness, our illusions that lead to isolation and loneliness and depression. We ask the earth to help us to throw off these um, blankets we wrap ourselves in and to go naked in the earth and to feel through our naked senses the interconnectedness of all things and to know that not only are we not alone but we cannot be alone for all things are connected to all the other things and so we give thanks to the earth and draw this energy up into our bodies calling up from the earth the wisdom of manifestation how can we learn to be here in form in a good way For all living things, not just ourselves, not just those people that look like us or think like us or talk like us, but all living things, human and non-human. For it is that diversity in the great web of life that allows each of us to have what we need to thrive. 
And so we call up the energy of the earth and extend our energy down in that interchange that gives us a sense of grounding, belonging, connection, home, and place. And we give thanks to the earth for connection and interconnection and the oneness of all things. And we ask the earth to help us to find a moment today of stillness and silence that we might reach our senses out and to know for that moment our place in the great oneness. And with the earth below and the ancestors gathered round, let us reach up through our heart, into our mind, and our mind out into the sky, and from the sky, through the atmosphere, and out into the cosmos, and all the way up beyond all of our imaginings of what is there above us in the sky realm, all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name, by whatever name you call that energy, please call it down. Draw it into yourself. Draw it into your life. Draw it into these proceedings here today. And in this way, we call down the energy of protection. And call in that energy within us and around us that we might be able to go forward in a good way with our work here today. We call in the energy of blessing and generosity and benevolence and benevolence and open ourselves to feel the true nature of our existence. It is not small, petty, greedy, and hip- hypocritical. That the true nature of our existence is vast, paradoxical, Taoistic, and wonderful. And we call out the energy from above to bring to us that feeling of inspiration and innovation and possibility. Just as we know, no matter where we are on this planet, the sun will rise again tomorrow and bring us a new day. And may we feel that feeling in our heart from the energy of the sky. And so as we draw the energy of the sky down into our body to mix and merge and dance with the energy of the earth and these two great lovers dance and swirl and blend within us let us let that energy bring us to exactly the right balance for us here today and with these energies infusing us with the wisdom of the cosmos and the wisdom of the earth let it awaken the energy of our hearts the energy of the human heart and we call out to that heart to be clear and open and strong and full and we call out to that heart to be the crucible of change that it is It's that single place that is able to draw up the fires of the belly and down the cool crystal energy of the mind and bring these energies together in such a way that neither destroys the other, but they each inspire. And from that inspiration, these energies give birth to your soul's true purpose, which is unique and unheard of. And we ask the heart to give birth today to your understanding, your feeling, your sense of your soul's true purpose, and may you find in your heart the courage to know it and maybe even to live it in some small way or large way today. And so for all of these energies gathered round us, the heart in the center, the earth, the sky, the ancestors gathered round, we give thanks. And I also give thanks to those people that help me to keep this show alive and meaningful, I hope, and free. To those who have access to the internet, which of course means it's not completely free, but free if you can get yourself there. And so I give thanks to Teresa and Susan and Maria and those who have donated generously in this past week. Thank you very much. All of the money donated to the show goes directly to keeping the show on the air. We are not yet at 100% sustained by listener support, but I do hope to be there by the end of this year. And thank you for your assistance in that. I want to thank all of you who are doing the many things that help the show to grow and to thrive, sending in your questions, sharing the show with others, allowing what you think about, what you're inspired by the show to come to in your life, to bring that to others. Um, I read a really um, 
hugely heartwarming email this week from a woman talking about how what she listens to on the show has changed what she teaches children in her classroom. So, we're all in this together, people. So thank you very much for helping me to continue to do this for you. If you would like to support the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and you can uh, donate any amount, large or small. Um, even many, many small donations equal one great big donation and they all help. And I thank you for all of them. It's all deeply, deeply appreciated. And if this show is meaningful to you in any way, even if it irritates you, as I might have done a good job last week, um, Know that that movement in the heart is the essence of shamanic work, to allow ourselves to be motivated not by the head, but by the heart, for it is the heart that carries the memory of why we are here in this life. So thank you all. So today, I'm going to continue with the show that I was trying to do last week, but I got a little bit caught up in my passion for and frustration, frankly, with this issue. Um, I find election times almost insufferable in America because otherwise, most of the time, I'm really pretty happy to have been born here. For all of the problems we have, I am happy to be a woman who has the freedom to pretty much do whatever I could imagine to do in my life. And I am deeply grateful for that. And I know that um, we pay a great price for that. And I'm trying at this time in my life to become conscious of that. And then we get into these presidential election seasons and all reason, all heart, all anything that is of value and character and humanity just flies right out the window and people behave as badly as they possibly can. And it's just horrific. And I'm sorry the rest of the world has to watch it now too. At least in the old days, you didn't have to see it. Anyway, so... Last week, I started talking about soul loss and family values, and I wanted to share what I have learned about what true, truly needs to happen in terms of families and the energy of the families and what they value and what they care about and the actions that they take with each other. Um, I wanted to share what I've learned about all of that from soul loss and soul retrieval. In other words, to put it simply, looking at what causes soul loss in children. And how can we change the way we expect, what we expect of our families and how we function in our families so that children experience less soul loss? Because, you know, people used to ask, it's funny, they don't ask me this anymore, but people used to ask me, well, you know, how do you know if someone has experienced soul loss? And that question always startled me because it's so obvious to me that it is more rare It is excruciatingly rare in life to run into someone who has not experienced soul loss in this contemporary time. And even some of the people that I have gone to in my life as teachers are suffering from soul loss and have not yet found who and how to get the help for that. So even the people that we go to for help have experienced soul loss and sometimes unresolved. Soul loss is rampant. In America, And so that's what I tried to start to talk about last week, but I got really carried away with my frustration about the assumption, the assumptions made by different groups of people that their way of defining the family guarantees a good situation for the child because, frankly, most of these people really don't care about children. They care about many other things. Anyway, I got into that last week. If you want to hear that rant, just download last week. What I'd like to actually try to talk about today is what I have learned from soul loss about families. 
And we are live this week. And um, if you have a question about the show topic, you are welcome to call in 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, if you want to contact me or you have um, thoughts about the show after the show, you can still send me an email at christina at lastmasscenter.org. And you can go to the calendar on that website if you want to see the classes that are happening in June, July, August, mostly. Um, we don't quite have all the new stuff up for the fall and winter, but the summer classes are available right now for registration. And you can register for most classes through the my website or it directs you in a link to the websites for locations like Rowe Conference Center and East West Bookshop in Seattle for the classes that will be held there. So next month we're doing Ancestral Healing here in Portland and um, two different versions, a basic and a little bit more advanced versions of the Courageous Heart Work at Rowe in early June and in Seattle in late June. So there's lots going on in June. Um, anyway, Back to the topic today. Okay, so like I said, I'm going to try to do what I got a little too carried away to do clearly last week um, and share what I have learned about parenting and families and what need to be family values from doing soul retrieval work. And part of this is really about how can we, the adults, begin to live in a way that we can truly, you know, to put our money where our mouth is, that we can actually take actions in life that cherish children as the most valuable and precious resource here on the planet. You know, people, it's really not oil. It was really not money. It really is people. It really is life. Life is a value, not even just people, but those of the next generation that are bringing the future to this planet in plants, animals, and people, they are the most valuable resource and yet we live in a way that squanders that resource daily so so last week I ranted on about the fact that there is actually no evidence that there's any going to be any problem for children if they're raised by two men or two women or a man and a woman as long as those adults bring to that family the qualities of the archetypal energy of the mother and the archetypal energy of the father. And as long as they're present for the children and create the conditions that allow children to open their minds and explore things and find their passion and know in their hearts that they can move towards their destiny, then more power to those people, however that family organizes itself. And what I was also saying is that from all of the soul retrieval work being done over the last two to three decades in America by people like myself, there's tons, truckloads, like trainloads of evidence that the typical heterosexual marriage is no guarantee, religious or otherwise, that you will create good conditions for raising children. And that this, this carrying on and on about the sanctity of marriage is crap, frankly, because there's huge, huge amounts of evidence that that sanctified marriage everybody's going on and on about, it can be an environment that is enormously damaging for children. 
And so when we look back at shamanic cultures, back at pre-contact shamanic cultures, what is really interesting to see is that their, their understanding that, that two adults come together to create an environment, a, good, a stable economic unit by whatever way that's defined by the culture to raise children in. And that in many of these cultures, there were very strict taboos about bringing in more children than you could economically support in a good way. So the taboos were not about whether it was a man or woman making babies. The taboos were around the quality with which you were present for and raised your children. In many of these cultures, you weren't allowed to have any more children than you could support so that they could thrive in the world. Um, in many of these cultures, you were expected to, to throw your DNA into the gene pool. And that's a, an interesting thing nobody ever talks about. But that in many of these cultures, while um, what would we would now call gay, but they didn't. But basically, men who wanted to be with men and women who wanted to be with women and therefore would not conceive were actually expected to donate their DNA and to father children and to mother children in the community and they may not raise it's possible they wouldn't raise those children or it's possible they would raise those children or it's possible they would raise other people's children but the point was this whole understanding of what was what was healthiest for the people was based on also what was healthiest for the children because healthy children make healthy adults and healthy adults make wise decisions. Healthy adults that talk to their ancestors and their helping spirits make even wiser decisions. But that's a different show. This show is about what we've learned about children and how to raise healthy children from shamanism, shamanic cultures, and soul loss. And so that was the point I went on and on about last week. And I talked about how fundamental thinking. It doesn't matter what people are fundamental about because you can be fundamental about there being no God or fundamental about your God or fundamental about everybody else's God being wrong. All of this fundamental, supposedly faith-based thinking isn't healthy for children. A, because it's fear-based thinking, not faith-based thinking. But B, because it's hypocritical. Fundamental thinking breeds hypocritical action it's the nature of fundamentalism that the that it doesn't and it doesn't matter to to be fundamental in and of itself is the problem not what you're fundamental about and to be fundamental breeds hypocrisy in your actions relative to your words and i talked last week about how hypocrisy confuses children and it frightens them when when a child's intuitive sense of what is true and right and aligned with what's going on around them and what the grown-ups are saying um, conflict or contradict children get scared children can survive without soul loss through horribly traumatic experiences if the adults are honest with them and accurate with them and that the honesty and the accuracy matches the intuitive feelings the kids are having, the kids will just hold your hand and go through it and they won't be damaged by horribly traumatic events. What damages children, even when there's no traumatic event, is hypocrisy, is the very act of do as I say, not as I do, as saying, you know, God says you must love everyone. 
and then watching their parents go out there and spit bile in the faces of other human beings. That harms children. It confuses them, it frightens them, and it creates the conditions for soul loss. I also talked about how divisive divisiveness, any kind of divisive thinking and divisive actions, particularly anger, rage, depression, or you know these events that disconnect people from each other, disconnect parents from children, these energies also create the conditions for a child to experience soul loss because the deeper truth a child is coming out of from birth is connectedness, oneness. And they know that through their whole being. And they're, uh, why do children, are, are children left to their own devices happy? Largely. You know, if they're truly left to their own devices, part of the reason they're so happy is they're still remembering the connection to all things. And they move through the world and as their senses come online and they grow and they develop and the, and the great diversity of the world around them appears and they interact with the smells and the taste and the senses and all this great diversity, it is both overwhelming and ecstatic because they're still connected and there's so much to be connected to and it's so cool. And so when they get around adults that act in ways or believe in separation or act in ways that are divisive, anger, rage, depression, these things that cut people off from each other, kids get very confused and very frightened from that disconnection. And then finally, last week, I just talked about the toxicity of the energy soup, which is a concept. <laughs> it's a Christinaism. Okay, it's not a. It's not an overt shamanic concept. I'm not translating energy soup from one of the shamanic cultures that I've trained with. It's my way of explaining to contemporary people that I work with that we as children are swimming through the early years of our life in the energy soup of our parents, and so whether the parent and including absent parents. And so we are in that energy. It, it is our energetic environment for better or for worse. And what I was talked about last week is how damaging it is because it creates toxicity in that energy soup for adults to not be willing to pick a discipline and use it to grow up, to rein in their reaction to life, to gain a skill for self-reflection, and to use that skill for self-reflection to begin to clear old baggage and clear old energies and stop reacting to everything and to begin to grow up and mature so that we don't have emotional children in grown-up bodies trying to raise children because frankly those are also conditions for soul loss and in those three things I've just described the majority of America and so and a lot of the world frankly because part of the problem with the organized religions as a whole who dominate the world right now in terms of numbers is they keep their people babies spiritually. And what I am encouraging people to do is not to leave their faith, their, uh, not, I'm sorry, not their faith, leave their religion, but to bring into their religious life and their spiritual life a practice that allows them to mature spiritually. That's what we do here at Last Mass Center. It's one of the main reasons to take the four-year training is to gain 
the entire skill set necessary for a human being in contemporary times to grow up spiritually and conscious in their consciousness. I don't usually use the word enlightenment, but it's the same thing. Go read Ken Wilberforce's book if you don't agree with me. He's got billions of pages written about the distinction of growing in consciousness and growing up psycho-emotionally and how these two things need to go hand in hand. And that to not do that, to, to sit on your fat American right to be however you damn well please, no matter how toxic it is, creates the context for soul loss for your children. And so what I am suggesting in what I saw, well not saw, but what I read about indigenous cultures pre-contact with the Western world is that they had strict principles in their cultures and taboos and basically ways they organized their culture itself and the family structures so the children didn't experience soul loss. It's not really that hard a concept. But for Americans, it would mean we would need to make changes. Okay, so what changes? Let me move along from last week. Okay, so I already talked about some of these things, but these are the kinds of things that you see in pre-contact shamanic cultures around the globe. I'm just kind of speaking generally of many different cultures, um, but the consistent themes that you see in these cultures, um, and if you don't believe me, go read my encyclopedia. Okay, so one of the main things that you see in these cultures is serial monogamy. You don't necessarily see people holding uh, peoples, these peoples holding this huge value for being married an entire lifetime. There, there is a higher value for the quality of the relationship and the character of the people. There is, there is not a value for staying in relationships that are stopping either or both of the people in the relationship from manifesting their true destiny and bringing their true gifts to the world. So you see a lot of serial monogamy. Um, and the monogamy part is strongest during childbearing years, again, to create a strong um, economic unit to raise children in. And, and these are people, you know, without condoms and without birth control pills who were quite capable of not having any more children than they could economically support as that was defined by their cultures. That these people, these indigenous people did not just make babies randomly. They had a lot of sex, but not intercourse. That, that there was a, there's a real distinction between sexual activity, sex, what, what we do, sort of somewhat derogatorily call sex play because it doesn't involve intercourse. But there's a great deal of intimacy within the, the structures of these cultures and sexuality and expressing themselves and a very clear distinction around the activities that create babies and whether or not you have shown yourself in this culture to be worthy of parenting children. And if you've already begun parenting children, are you capable economically of supporting anymore? And, and these are the, the principles that were sort of wrapped around this serial monogamy. The other thing you see in these cultures is a huge value for gender variant people. 
And I talked a lot last week about gender variance and what I mean by that. And there's a whole other show in the archives about gender variance alone. But the basic point of gender variance cross-culturally around the world, and this is all of our ancestors, those ancestors I called in at the beginning of the show, who were way smarter about this than we are, those ancestors. You all have them. We all have them. No matter how lily white your skin may be right now, you have ancestors that understood this. And what they understood was this. Our biology that we are born with is simply our biology. And it is as it should be. The role we serve in our culture, even if it's defined as masculine or feminine in the culture, is whatever we choose it to be. How we choose to work, how we choose to serve the people is not necessarily tied to our biology. And who we choose to love and how we choose to love them is not tied to our gender role in the culture, nor is it tied to our biology. And that these things may also evolve over time. And that in these cultures, there is no straight or gay, decide now or forever hold your peace. Or, or let's be honest, those of you out there who do identify as gay, being a good gay person or a bad gay person, right? Because you're not doing it right. I mean, we as people in general are horrible to each other around sexuality and gender variance. We're mean. We're mean-spirited and nasty to each other. And we need to get over it. Our ancestors understood to just let people love how they choose to love. Let people experience pleasure as they choose to experience pleasure. And everybody grow up and understand that the responsibility of parenting is an entirely different thing. And if you're going to do it, Step up and do it well. Okay, so what else did they do? I talked about contributing DNA. So even if you were not likely to be able to conceive a child in your relationship of choice, you were expected to donate your DNA into other relationships so that the DNA could be in the gene pool. And they didn't necessarily know what we think we know about DNA, but they understood the need to keep all of the energy moving in the community and nobody got all bent out of shape about it and worried about who was a surrogate of whomever and and this that and the other thing I mean they just did it because it needed to be done and who was going to raise the kids was decided because the other thing about um, having a value for these gender variant people is they could pick up the slack for adults you know what if somebody's dad got killed hunting that happened all the time People died. Who was going to take care of the kids? Well, the beauty of having some childless couples in the community is it's obvious who's going to take care of the kids, right? Because you can't necessarily farm the kids off to Uncle Bob because maybe Uncle Bob and Aunt Sue can only support the kids they have. And you've got this other couple over here who are wealthy in the sense of that culture because they have no children. Because they have all the time in the world to do the hunting and the gathering and the basket weaving or whatever that culture does to sustain themselves in, their, in the economy of that culture. These people were a great gift to the community because they could pick up the slack when shit happened and people died or accidents happened or very special children were born and the parents hadn't have any idea how to deal with them. So 
the other things, so the, let's see, some of the other things you see cross-culturally in these pre-contact shamanic cultures is the changes over a lifetime. You didn't identify as straight or gay. You just were who you were and you did what you did and you went with what you and spirit decided was the path and you didn't have to oh, now I'm gay, oh, crap, I think I'm bi, and now what are my gay friends going to think, and oh, my goodness, the person I'm really falling in love with is actually the wrong sex. You know, none of that drama, none of that being a bad person because, or or that God won't talk to you because you're a boy who's attracted to other boys. I mean, it's just absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And our ancestors, those who came from the first people, all of our ancestors – all of our ancestors, far enough back, supported the understanding that people are people, love is messy, sex is crazy, and even with all of that said, we must raise our children well. So there's an example um, in the Zuni people, a very strong tradition of the man-woman or the non-masculine. So this was not um, a gay man. This person was a third gender, was another gender, right? And these people often served their people as sages, as healers, as ritual artisans. So in the Zuni tradition, and, and you know, the Zuni people carry deep, deep wisdom and deep prophecy for the people today. They, they, they are deep, deep wisdom keepers. So in their tradition, the biological sex does not dictate the social role or gender that an individual will assume as they mature. Gender is not seen as an inborn trait, but as an acquired trait with a corresponding social role to fulfill. So Zuni believe gender is not limited to two types but that there are many and that all genders have well-defined traditional roles. So the other thing you don't see then is the non-masculine male and the non-feminine female being outcasts. But they're welcomed, they're part of the traditional world and they have traditional roles, traditional gender roles within a culture that yes, has fairly clearly defined traditional or uh, biological females doing female gender roles and biological males doing male gender roles. But what we didn't observe in the beginning observing these people is you also had non-masculine males with very traditional roles and non-feminine females with very traditional roles. And then actually even more subtle variations on all of those themes as people grew and matured. So the underlying wisdom of this belief is seen in a key episode in the Zuni creation mythology. And this story tells of how the Lamana was created by the deities for a special purpose of mediation between people and spirits. So these non-masculine males were believed are shown through their teaching stories to be to have been created by the deities for the special purpose of mediation between people and spirits. A very important job. If you actually believe having a relationship with spirit is necessary for a mature and healthy life, which shamanic people believe, and so do I. So there was a battle between the Kachina spirits of the agricultural Zuni and the spirits of the hunters. So the hunters, Kachina spirits, and the agricultural Kachina spirits were fighting and um, 
So uh, let's see, the hunters capture uh, a man-woman being, a non-masculine male. And in this uh, experience of being captured by the enemy, this being is transformed. And in that transformation, this being acquires peacemaking skills that allowed him, her, to understand both sides and mediate effectively. So through the mediation then, this spirit who'd been captured by the enemy was able to innovate a way for the agricultural Zuni and the, the hunter Zunis to find a lifestyle that would respect both and allow both to live together peacefully. And so this, this tradition then of being this non-masculine male has, is deeply rooted in the creation stories of the Zuni people. And that, that non-masculine male is honored and respected and called out culturally to be someone who mediates between the forces. So versus our leaders who are arguing about whether it's even okay to be gay – you know, just think, what if we had this honored, non-masculine male whose job is mediation between any two factions there in Capitol Hill, there for Congress, there for the House, there for the president, and that this person was respected and believed because they carried both spirits that they were more effective in mediation, reconciliation, and peacemaking. Maybe the reason, part of the reason the world today, humanity, the world's fine, frankly, but humanity today is so contentious, so violent, so damaging to new life is because we don't honor the people that are non-masculine males and non-feminine females and carry within them two spirits and are able because of that to bring the medicine of peace. But they can't bring the medicine of peace because we're too busy killing them. Wake up, people. Wake up. We're all here for a reason. So, what shamanic cultures are really powerfully supporting is that a person's destiny is determined in an ongoing conversation between the person and spirit. Not a priest or a rabbi or um, uh, anybody. No mediation. And no books, people. No books. Direct, active, working relationship with spirit. I mean, bless the hearts for all those people who wrote the manuscripts from the very beginning of time. But we have got to stop treating them like science texts. They are stories to inspire the spiritual growth in the lives of people who are inspired by those stories and nothing more. And we need to get a grip on that. And so the important thing to understand and part of the reason for the sanity and the peacemaking and the ability to mediate that comes out of these shamanic cultures is that every single adult is expected to have a live working relationship with spirit. And it is through that relationship that that person evolves and grows and transforms over time. And if they decide when they're 55 that they are now interested in men instead of women or women instead of men, so be it. The people trust that this is the business of spirit. And so I found this. I was a little frustrated yesterday. And I found this um, on the internet by a woman, Sally By Byberry. 
And she, and I'm, I'm sharing a little bit of a conversation that she had with a Lakota elder. And it was about this, this um, topic of gender variant people. And what the Lakota elder was saying is, we people have mysteries, things we cannot explain, things we don't know how they came to be or how they stay alive, but it's all part of life. For some things, we have legends and tales passed down from our ancestors, and they're enough, though now we have science and all kinds of stuff, which explains how things work, or they try to anyway. There are still mysteries, and will always be, and there are some things you don't need answers to in order to have a happy life or to just even get by. So there have always been winkote, which is a gender variant male, I believe. Um, even now, we have Winkute who live on the reservation and they are accepted just like anybody else. There is no need to comment on them, to make up tales about them, or to treat them badly because that's just the way they are. That's how they are born. If a man wants to live as a woman and take a male partner, then it is his choice. And he is the woman he wants to be, doing women's things that feel good to him. And that's the way it's always been with the people. But when the black robes came, these are the European settlers with their Christian religion, they say they saw something they didn't understand. Well, they thought they understood it and they put their own words to it, words like evil, wrong, and sin. But there is no evil among the people. Things happen. People are certain ways. That's just life. We don't try to force our own thoughts or beliefs on anybody else. But that's what the black ropes did to us. Children need the type of environment this elder speaks of, where they just let people be people within the parameters of good character in the community, which isn't about gay or straight. or It's about are you living in a way that is loving and sustaining? Are you living in a way that is conservative of the resources around you? Are you bringing your gifts to the world? Are you doing work, valuable work in your community? These are things that are about character, things that don't have anything to do with who you decide that you love. So children need the type of environment this Lakota elder is talking about, an an environment that is an environment of acceptance and freedom. And true freedom, not not American freedom in the sense of a person who wants to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, regardless of the effects on anyone else. That's American freedom today. But true freedom, the freedom that comes from discipline, the discipline of living a good life, the discipline of showing up for your children, the discipline of asking, why am I here? The discipline of challenging your fears and taking a risk so that you can bring the results of that question, why am I here, out into the world. That's the discipline that brings us to true freedom. Because children need to explore who they have come here to be. And they need to be free to explore who they have come here to be without having to label themselves, without having to make decisions before they're so young they haven't even had a chance to experience yet. So, it is a place of great power to parent 
the next generation. And in that, it is important to know that you are the bow that sends the child forth. And the child is the arrow. Knowing that you must let them go is part of good parenting. Knowing that you must prepare them to find the earth as their true mother and the sky as their true father is part of good parenting. And I've talked about this on other shows, but that ability to do things as parents you don't want to do because it's necessary for the spiritual life of your child or even the the physical life. It's like the story I've told about the Tarahumara uh, mothers. So these are the indigenous people of deep, deep canyons in Mexico, what is now Mexico. And they take their children once they're able to walk and toddle around on a path that includes a fall to their death, potential fall to their death. And they walk looking forward with their child following them. And by following the mother on that path, without the mother looking or engaging with the child, the child's own natural physical instincts of how to live safely in a canyon when you could fall to your death at any moment kick in. And that is absolutely critical for the mother to do this for the toddler or the toddler's instincts uh, will never kick in and they will not be safe in the land that these people call home. And so the mothers must do this and it's excruciating for the mother, as you can imagine. They must risk this child that's just learned to, to be able to be stable on their feet. They must risk their death for this one walk that will allow this child now to develop for the rest of their life in the environment that they call home. These are the things that I mean. Doing things that are hard as the adult so that the child has the experiences that spark and provoke the things that must develop within them for, for, for the child then to become a healthy adult. So most importantly, we need to understand that it is not our right to have children. I've listened to that a lot from people that suffer from infertility and want children as their right and they feel that their right has been taken from them. It's not our right to have children. It is a great honor and an enormous responsibility. So what is most important to understand is that if this child has been a gift in your life, Um, then it is your honor to raise that child. And the child does not belong to you, but it belongs to spirit and the cycle of life. And this child is not your right, but your responsibility and your blessing. And so what causes soul loss for children in the typical American family? The most important thing is we, we, we must be willing to do the hard things and to raise children in such a way that we do not undermine the natural development of their will, their ability to choose and understand the ramifications of their choices, their sovereignty, their capacity for vision and dreaming and believing in a new future, and their health and well-being, their physical health and well-being. And so in the beginning then, um, at birth, there is soul loss that can happen uh, in utero and even around birth. And it's very important to understand this, particularly for people that are adopted 
or are giving up their child for adoption. That there is there are some very very powerful energetic connections between a child and their birth mother. And it's important energetically for a child to be with their birth mother. And if that can't happen, what we need to do is to attend to that energetic disconnection spiritually and energetically. Uh, And so in other words, what I'm saying is I've met many, many adopted people, adults, adopted as children, especially those adopted at birth um, or, or taken from their mothers at birth for adoption that they go through every single kind of healing offered to them and there's still just simply something missing, like something just that is unnameable is not there and they get very frustrated. And while people try to help them to heal, there is not an acceptance of the simple fact that at that time of being taken from the mother, there is simply soul loss because you're moved out of the energy field of the mother that you've been born to. There's nothing wrong with adoption in and of itself, but we must attend to the energetics of it. But beyond that, even in a typical uh, situation where the child is with the birth mother, the birth mother and father or mother's mothers or father's fathers, they need to understand how critically important that energetic relationship is for development between the child and the birth mother's energy. And um, create that if it's not there naturally. If you're adopting a child and the birth mother isn't present, then you need to find a way to create that energetically. And if you don't know how to do it, you need to ask a shaman. I mean, it's very, very important. Similarly, like I said, back in the ordinary situation where a child would be with their birth mother, the birth mother needs to understand and behave in such a way that they are informed by the, by the knowledge that their infant is deeply and intimately connected energetically to them for many, many months after they come out. And so what you do with your energy, how you respond to the infant energetically, your ability to be present with the infant, all of these things affect and can potentially create soul loss. If you're not mature enough and able to be vulnerable enough to stay that connected with another living thing, especially one that's, you know, screaming and crying and needs you to do stuff for them constantly. So as we move on in the development of a child, there comes a point, usually around two, when, when the child begins to recognize themselves as an individual, that they're not really just an extension of their parents' energy, but that they're actually an individual and they can, are capable of saying no. Um, and this is a stage that is very important because it begins the shaping of this child's understanding of their will. And their ability in life to choose. It is the beginning of setting boundaries and learning about how to have healthy boundaries. It is the a time um, that is critically important because this child, this very, very young child is actually laying the foundation stones for the foundation they will stand on for the rest of their lives. And I get it. Two is challenging. I was a terror 
but it's absolutely important that we understand this time as a time when the child is shaping instinctually a firm foundation for their will and their right use of will and their understanding choice and that there are always ramifications for their choices and their actions. This is a time where double standards, do as I say, not as I do, or witnessing double standards, even if the child can't cognitively understand them, the very experience of witnessing the wrong use of will, essentially, is very destabilizing and can create the context for soul loss. This is a time where do as I do, not as I say is absolutely deadly. It's poison for a child. So as children develop a little further, they come to a place uh, where they start to step into power and sovereignty. If we support them and this is a place where kids get real big and they they start to recognize themselves as powerful beings they get huge and this is a point where parents are exhausted especially single parents who don't have a lot of help wouldn't it be nice all of you single parents out there if in your community there were all these really beautiful interesting educated skilled mature other adults who had no children that were really happy to pick up the slack in your life with your kids and your kids love them they were their aunties and their uncles not technically by blood but by the values of the cultures all the other adults knew they were responsible for the life of your children. So when your kid goes into that big phase, that three-year-old big phase where they get huge and they get powerful and they're connected to everything and they are awesome and they are just too much to handle and all you want them is just to shut up and go in the other room and watch a DVD. Give me a break, right? That is a place that a child's sovereignty can be deeply undermined and they can struggle for the rest of their lives to find it, especially if this is a place of abuse, um, incest. It's critically important at this stage that a child's sovereignty is honored and acknowledged and seen and given healthy boundaries in which to grow in. And that's the piece we totally fall down in in America is the capacity to give our children appropriate and healthy boundaries as they move through these different developmental stages. They don't want total freedom. They don't know what to do with it. But they want the freedom that they can handle. There are issues for soul loss around love and learning because most children spend a lot of their early years, especially zero through five, learning what they have to do to feel loved. And children shouldn't have to do anything to feel love. There's tons of soul loss around learning what you need to do to feel that you're loved, to feel that you're respected, to feel that you're valued. Um, And that means basically fitting into whatever the strange little story is a parent has going on in their own head because they haven't spent enough time in their own practice, in their own discipline, in their own self-reflection to open up their story to make it big enough for the child. Um, children have a huge relationship with spirit and they're happy to call it God if you want them to. But the big soul loss moment comes when you tell them, oh no, they can't have that relationship with God. Only the priest, the rabbi, the whomever has that. They can't talk directly to God. And the kid's like, what do you mean? I've been doing this since I was zero. Right? There's huge soul loss around taking a child's natural relationship with spirit and interconnectedness with everything from them by the doctrine of the church or the temple or the whatever it is that you're handing down to them. Deep, deep, deep soul loss in this place. 
we create soul loss when we don't listen to our children's dreams and their visions and encourage them to know that they can do anything that they choose to in the world they live in. And so how do you as a parent, let's say in America of a minority, deal with the fact that you know your kid is going to get shit because they are of whatever minority group you are? Well, what you don't say is, well, you're never going to be able to do that because you're a black woman or something like that. You say you can do anything that you set your mind to. And these are the challenges we will help you face in your life because these are the challenges our culture will throw up for you. Or you just wait until they meet them and they say, yeah, that's not fair. Yeah, okay, how do we respond to that? Another place of soul loss is shutting down a child's creative voice and self-expression because they can't sing or dance or draw good enough to make a living doing it. How pathetic is that, people? Children should be encouraged to create until the day that they die. There should be no time at which they stop singing, they stop dancing, they stop drawing, they stop making music, they stop creating. Another great place of soul loss is the moment of initiation that young men know that they need, boys know they need to be guided somehow in that threshold, from that threshold across that great abyss and through the other threshold on the other side and young girls as well. And these are times when the reflection they get back from their parents, their mother or their father, can be deeply damaging because what happens for most American girls when they go through go through their their passage physically into young womanhood and their bodies change and their hormones rage is that their fathers reject them because their fathers are insecure with themselves and the growing femininity in their daughters and the daughters take that on as some sort of deep understanding that being a woman is bad because my father doesn't love me in the same way anymore so men step up do your work and step up so that you can be there for your daughters and welcome them appropriately into their life as a woman so that they have no hesitation, no fear that having become a woman meant they lost the love of their father. And similarly, but somehow opposite with boys and their mothers. Uh, so anyway... <laughs> These are the kinds of things that create soul loss in children, and these are the things that we as the adults in the lives of children need to bring to their family life. These are the things that need to begin to shape what we call family values. Family values need to not be fundamentalist. Family values need to be practical, real, and respond to what actually does uh, support the soul and the lives of our children so that they can grow up and be the people who can heal and to mediate and to bring peace to the issues we simply aren't grown up enough to change. So thank you everyone for listening to me here today. I hope between this week and last week I've finally shaped that whole promise of a show around what we can learn um, from soul loss about the true family values and how we could bring them. I want to get thanks to the ancestors and ask you to please help us find sanity in this ridiculous time of um, America's presidential campaign season. So I ask ancestors to be with us and I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. May we all go forward today with the courage to let our heart truly unite us all.
Thank you, everyone. And next week, I will actually do the show on Facebook and loneliness and what do we need to do to maintain the capacity for true intimacy in our contemporary lives. Have a great week.